0: To continue on the warfare, uh, spiritual warfare. Did has everybody received one of these weapons of our warfare? You haven't received it. Anybody else received this? Uh, these are Bible bookmarks. You can put them in your Bibles. And uh, Sister Janae, did you? Okay. <clears throat> You're welcome. Here's some more. Are you collecting those? (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Did you get one? Okay. (laughs) Everybody have one? Okay. Uh, It would be good for you to Keep that close, keep it in your Bible, uh, pick it up, use them, use these things, they're uh, very powerful. And uh, as we've talked about, our weapons are not carnal, but they are spiritual. So the weapons on this list, and we're going to talk about these through tonight and also uh, through the next Wednesday or, or whenever uh, it uh, comes back at where we're teaching on this, but the blood of the Lamb. The word of our testimony, the name of Jesus, the written word of God, the prayer and praise, the angels, and the Holy Ghost. So um, we're in a battle, and none of us are exempted, but we're in a battle for our lives and uh, spiritual beings. And as we mentioned before, Satan is into stealing, killing, death destroying he's into all of those things he he wants to destroy our lives spiritually and he would love to also destroy us physically too if he had the chance to be able to do that but he has various ways of doing things Um, I was reading in the scripture I mentioned it here I think Sunday uh, talks about that uh, you know Satan doesn't have any power other than what the Lord allows him to have If the Lord took the power away from him, he would have, he has nothing. So we do understand that God is um, all-powerful. Satan is not an equal with God. On evil and God with good, there is no equal with God. Matter of fact, the Bible even says there's none beside him. And then it says, no, not one. There's none beside the Lord. He is all-powerful. Uh, But Satan has certain uh, tactics that he uses and uh, he wants to destroy us. Everything he has to do is with death. And if he could do that, he will do his best to do that. But in order to battle against this, we have spiritual weapons. And these spiritual weapons, if we will take them and use them, uh, when you look at this list, how many here have used maybe several of these things, or maybe all of them, raise your hand, have used these things in in your warfare. Uh, there is power in it because these are spiritual weapons. Now, Satan's work of accusing us before God day and night, of course, um, a lot of that came to an end when he was cast out of the access of heaven, but yet he still is the accuser of the brother. He still accuses us, but yet now... It's accusing us in a way that, that uh, upon the earth, he is the prince and power of the air. Uh, we have this battle that is raging and going on to attack every soul, every soul. We are a soul, and it's to attack us. So, since today we have this battle raging, we need to have an intercessor and an advocate to help. Stand in the gap for us and, uh, of course, and fight the fight for us. Uh, Hebrews seven twenty-five and 1 John 2 and 1 talks about this uh, intercession and also it talks about the advocate. Uh, Hebrews 7 and 25 says, "...wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him." seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Intercession um, means to go to or meet a person for the purpose of conversation, consultation, or supplication. It also covers other areas of prayer. We can intercede and stand in the gap for somebody and pray to the Lord for somebody. Like take for instance tonight we gave prayer requests we were interceding for someone with a need, for healing, for deliverance, or whatever. We were made intercessors. So we were bringing that need for that person before the Lord. And sometimes people, you know how it is, we, uh, we, we have a difficult time praying for ourselves uh, you know when we're going through a very difficult time. Of course we do. We say, God, please heal me, touch me. But yet... Uh, It's so much better when we have an intercessor, when we have someone that takes on that burden and can pray for us and can ask God to bring healing or to bring deliverance or bring forgiveness. Now we can't, you know, ultimately people need to ask for forgiveness for themselves, but we can ask God to bring them to that point where they can find deliverance from whatever uh, sin or whatever it is in their life. Uh, we we make intercession for them. We stand in the gap. So, reading that scripture again, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make in, make intercession for them. And in First John it talks about an advocate. First John two one and two says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. An advocate is someone that is summoned, called to one's side, called to one's aid, um, one who pleads another's case or cause before a judge, a pleader, counsel for defense, legal assistant, and advocate. That's what the Lord is. Now, we do know that Jesus is God in flesh, uh, that sonness that we've heard about here recently. But, but you know, um, uh, the Lord is an advocate. It's like a lawyer. When you, if, if you've ever been in court, uh, I, I've been in court, not necessarily uh, because I was being tried, but uh, our company was being tried uh, for a situation where one of our service techs had went out and uh, worked on a refrigeration unit, and uh, then of course it had a leak. They repaired the leak. At that time, the freon was very expensive. <laughs> And uh, they were phasing it out. And so we gave the grocery store a, a bill. He paid the bill, or didn't pay the bill, I can't remember, he was still waiting on it. But then he calls in a week later and that same unit broke down again. And we, uh, uh, the man, the serviceman went out, fixed it again, and then came back. And uh, uh, then the guy said, well, I'm not gonna pay that bill. You should have fixed it right the first time. So, uh, the owner of the company said, "I'm going to take this to court. It is not right. He should pay the bill. This expensive Freon, and uh, it was very expensive. So, um, the service tech had to go to court, and he asked me to go to court with him. So that's how I ended up in court. Uh, before we we were standing before the judge, and uh, my friend the service tech which some of you know him he's just like energetic and he 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 has very little throttle on his mouth at times and he was standing before the judge and he was very very emphatic about that he was innocent that he this guy need to pay the bill and he actually stood before the judge i was standing behind him and he was going like this on the judge's uh (laughs) podium and the judge said if you don't stop that I'm gonna I'm gonna get you a contempt of court. And he stopped. And uh if I could have been up a little closer, I would have said, come on, and you need to back off a little bit. I was kind of a an advocate in one way as I was trying to help him uh, but it ended up we had a we we had a, a perfect opportunity uh because they brought some prisoners in or some people that were going to be Put in jail, so they told us to step back and sit down and for just a moment while they could clear these inmates into the jail, and it gave us enough time to look over as we heard the the, what the other man was saying that he didn't feel like he needed to pay the bill because it said on the bottom warranty for like sixty days or whatever. This was only a week, and as I began to look at that, me and Ed, well, I said his name, Ed. Me and Ed started looking at it, and I said, Ed, I'm asking the question, the first time you fixed it, was the first time that you fixed that leak, was the second leak in the same spot you fixed the first one? He said, no. I said, there you go. I said, that's how you're going to get out of this. So he, he took it up. We, I was his counsel, I guess. So I, he took it up to the podium, and that time he didn't peck on the desk and when it when they tried this thing uh, and he brought that fact up that was a different leak when he repaired it the second time then the judge said well to the owner of the company you need to pay the bill so we worked that out but you needed in that case a counsel or an advocate to stand between the judge and those that were uh, being tried So when you consider our spiritual lives, we are guilty of sin, but yet we have an advocate that stands between us and judgment, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, he died on the cross for us, shed his blood for us. He is our advocate. And uh, so what we need now with the accuser which is Satan, we need an advocate and we need an intercessor. That is the Lord. He is there for us, He's there to help us, to plead our case. He already paid the price. But our weapons, as we've mentioned before, are not carnal. So, what does it take to be able to overcome these battles of warfare with these spiritual weapons? Every one of these on this list, we'll talk about them, but every one of them are very powerful, very powerful. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, which one of the first uh, weapons of, of uh, combat against Satan is the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is powerful. Amen. It says in Revelation 12 and 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto unto the death. So they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. You know what's so beautiful about the blood of the Lamb, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, um, the blood overcomes Satan's accusations. He constantly accuses us that we're not, he wants us to get to a point where we don't Uh, we want to stop worshiping God because we are so unworthy. He makes accusations to us of why are you raising your hands? You're guilty of sin. He brings up your past. He, He can't stop bringing those things up because he wants to keep accusing you and bringing you down and making you feel like you don't need to worship God. Why pray because if you pray, you're guilty. And he brings all, he heaps on you all of this heaviness and all of this uh, guilt. And he pours it on us, makes us feel so low and so unworthy. And, um, you know, he, he, he brings all the past up. Uh, the Bible says that the sins are under the blood When Jesus died on the cross, the the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no remission. Now, thank God for a conscience and thank God for conviction. We need that. We need to feel, when we do something wrong, conviction that we've done that wrong and we need to get it right. And if we don't have a conscience, then we're going to feel the conviction and not feel the need to change anything. So you see, um, Satan makes all these accusations. He keeps throwing this stuff out, and none of us are exempt. We've all been accused of something by Satan. And, uh, but the beautiful thing about the warfare of fighting this battle with the blood of the lamb is that when we realize that when Jesus died on the cross, his blood, when we came to a point of repentance and died to our sins and repented of it, his blood covered us and washed us. And there are times even in living for God that you have to go back. When the attack of accusations come on you, you just need to... Plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Plead the blood. You know, there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Power there to wash away sins. Those accusations really mean nothing against us because Jesus already paid the penalty. He, he already paid the penalty and, uh, that our sins deserve. He already, he already paid the price. And, and, you know, here's the thing about it. All of the accusations that the devil uh, makes uh, uh, toward us, uh, maybe, we, we may be even worse than what the Satan accuses us of. But even at that, uh, we are still made righteous by the work of Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross. You know, he could fall even short of how bad we were. I don't think he misses a point, but yet I think he, he could even be, uh, you know, uh, maybe fall short of what, how bad we really were. But yet, even if that's the case, Jesus Christ's blood washes us and cleanses us. So it gives us a reassurance in our heart and soul and mind to rest assured that Satan, every accusation you're bringing against me and making me feel guilty... I plead the blood over it because the blood of Jesus Christ has already covered it, it's already washed it away, and it has no bearing on this. The sins that we have, the Bible says that the Lord casts them as far as the east is from the west. They keep going, keeps going it's far, as far as the east is from the west. The book of Ephesians chapter 1, listen to what it says here. Verse 1 and 7, Ephesians. In whom we have redemption through His blood in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1 and 14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9 and 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus' blood is powerful. Now, I want us to look at Hebrews 9 and 14, actually 9, 12 through 14. I'm going to read those scriptures. In the Old Testament, there were, in the, in the tabernacle, they would take animals before, um, before the, the tabernacle and, and offer them, kill that sacrifice, um, bring it to the priest, uh, the priest would put it on an altar, um, burn that sacrifice, then he'd go to the laver, and then he'd go through the whole process of bringing their sins before the Lord. Can you imagine what it was like in the Old Testament? Certain sins required certain sacrifices. So uh, as you came to the tabernacle, uh, the Uh, you would actually bring a sacrifice for that particular sin. And it was basically like, you know, everybody. Everybody's seen, you walk to the tabernacle. It's kind of like walking to an altar and, and giving your heart to the Lord or asking God to forgive you. But the thing about it is, I think a lot of times people don't go to an altar and repent because they're afraid if they do that, everybody's going to think that they've done something wrong. Pride, that's pride. The thing about it is is if you come and give your heart to the Lord or lay down on an altar and pour it out to God, the thing about it is you are going to be so much more happy and free when you get up from that altar after you lay it down. Uh, I know I've said this before, but it really applies here. I remember when I first started going to church and I received the Holy Ghost and and was baptized and started living for God. I remember um, I told the Lord, I want to know everything about how to get as close to you as I can get. I was telling the Lord that. I also made some commitments to the Lord. I said, Lord, I didn't start this to stop. I'm going to go all the way. And uh, in that that commitment to the Lord, it it is a commitment that I said to the Lord that that I'm not going to back up from. There's been a lot of ups and downs. There's been a lot of battles. There's been a lot of obstacles, just like all of us. There's been a lot of things that we've had to bust through. But I said, Lord, you're with me. We're going to do this together. And uh, I remember... As a new convert, uh, every time the pastor would preach a message, I would take that message and apply it to myself. I didn't. I didn't apply it to anybody else. I, I didn't say, "Oh, I know who he's talking about. I, I know what that word's about. I know what that message who that's for." No, I tell you what I did. I would go. Uh, or when I heard the message, the word, I would take that word and absorb it into my own heart and soul and examine my own life. I wasn't trying to look at other people and say, hey, that's for them. No, that was for me. It didn't matter what the word was. Every word that was preached and taught, I took it for myself because I wanted to examine myself and I wanted to make sure I was right with God. So I would go to the altar every time. Every time I would go, and I would kneel at the altar, and I would pray, and I would say, "God, search me, search my heart, search my soul." And uh, I and I've mentioned this before too that there was a man in the church, uh, a, a wonderful man that that uh, I thought a lot of, and uh, uh, he he saw me go up to the altar every time, and and uh, uh, and I th- I think there was a it seemed like there was a almost everybody in the church would go to the altar. We had an altar full every service. But uh, he noticed me going to the altar every time, and he came up to me after church, and he was kind of, you know, he was funny in some of his things he would say, but he said to me, he, he said, uh, either you are the biggest sinner in this church, or you just really want to get close to God. And I said, well, uh, I, I really do want to get as close to God as I can get. So, it's not the fact of saying, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go to that altar because I'm afraid what people think about me. No, I want to go to that altar because it's between me and God, not me and you, but it's between me and God. And that's where we need to go. The, the, that's a big part of this battle is for us to continue to go to that altar and keep things fresh within our heart and with our lives. And God, search my heart, see if there be any wicked way within me. That's a way to overcome this warfare battle of the flesh, of carnal things. But it, it says here that you know, they would bring their offerings before the tabernacle and before the priest, basically bring them before the Lord. But in the scripture in Hebrews 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, let me stop here and let's talk about something here just for a moment before we go on. Just a thought that just came to me. You know, when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, what was the things that happened after he died? What's that? The veil was torn from the top to the bottom. You know why I feel, what the thought that just came to me was the reason why that veil ripped from the top of the bottom, there's several reasons, but one of them is because the Lord entered into that place and took the place of us. And of course, it also is a symbol of opening up an avenue that we can go straight to the Lord it's a new covenant now. It wasn't like the old covenant where nobody could go into the holiest of holies but the high priest, and he could only do that once a year. But Jesus, through his death, paid the price for us, and he went into that place. matter of fact, he even went to the depths of hell, and uh, <laughs> he, he took the keys to... He took the keys. He, he opened up the door for salvation because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, the blood of goats and calves and animals of the Old Testament, the Bible talks about all of that did was rolled the sins ahead. All through the Old Testament, every sacrifice that was made, it rolled the sins ahead. And when Jesus died on the cross, what his blood did, his blood covered and washed those sins of the past that were under those animal blood sacrifices, because they were being obedient to the law of God at that time. But his blood also covered the sins of that day of repentance and also set it up for the sins of the future of those that go and, and repent of their sins which is where we're at today. His blood flowed from the, all the way to the very past of those that were covered under animal sacrificing under obedience, those of that day, and also set it up for us today. So neither by now is a more perfect sacrifice. Jesus shed his blood, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He was an advocate for us. His blood covers us when we ask for repentance and forgiveness. Verse 13 goes on For it the blood of bulls and goats, and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Listen to what it says in verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So with the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctify the purifying of the flesh. How much more? What he's saying, how much more? In the spiritual realm, how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ, not just our flesh, but our spirit, our soul, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The battle, the warfare that is going on, a lot of times is in our mind. When it gets in our mind and affects our mind, then our body begins to act it out. Our flesh begins to act it out. That battle starts in the mind. That's where we've got to stop things in the mind. We've got to overcome things in the mind, in our conscience. But it says here, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Remember what I was talking about earlier about Satan is into uh, stealing, killing, destroying. He wants you dead because if he, if he can get you dead, then he's got your soul if you're not ready to live for God. To those that are redeemed, death is just gain to us. (laughs) To those that are ready to meet God and have salvation in their lives and living an overcoming life, walking in the Spirit, walking in holiness, death is victory to us. But to those that are lost, death is defeat, death is an eternal judgment death is a terrible thing but the blood of Jesus Christ purges our conscience from dead works to serve the living God the battle that rages a lot of times in our mind in our conscience the battle that rages a lot of times is deadness sin in our conscience but when we allow the blood of Jesus Christ to flow over us It purges our conscience from the dead works of sin so that we can live for God. Now, there are times that we need to go back and purge ourselves again and plead the blood. There's nothing wrong with it. There is powerful things when you plead the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood is just as powerful today as it ever was even from the day that he first shed it for our lives, his blood is still powerful, and we can plead the blood of Jesus Christ when dead works or sin tries to creep into our mind and get us to a point where we think that we need to act something out that is going to be sinful. What does the Bible say? It says, um, it talks about lust. It talks about uh, when lust hath conceived that bringeth forth death. You see, We need to take the blood of the Lamb. It helps us to be an overcomer. Take the blood of the Lamb and plead it. Plead it. Walk in the the cleansing and covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. Plead the blood of Jesus. Call upon that blood. Amen. That blood is, is powerful. It's redeemed the whole world to those that offer themselves for forgiveness and repentance in their life. It's powerful. The Bible talks about a conscience that is seared with a hot iron. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people in the world that they don't think anything about sin. Their conscience is seared There's people in this world that they could sin every day. It's a common way of life for them. And they don't even think anything about it. But sin is bringing forth death to their soul, to their spirit. But when we allow the blood of Jesus Christ to flow over us, there is a purging of our conscience from dead works. A purging of our conscience. Um... Some have no conscience. It's calloused. They don't recognize sin. But when you take the word purge, the meaning of that word purge means to free from defilement of sin and from faults. There is a healing that goes on in the mind, the conscience, when the blood of Jesus Christ flows over us. There's a healing that takes place. Uh, I remember so clearly, and I, I know I have mentioned this before, but I remember so clearly when I, re, when I repented of my sins and I received the power of the Holy Ghost. I, was, I received the Holy Ghost with evidence to in tongues before I was baptized. You can do that, but you can't receive the Holy Ghost before you repent. But I, there's powerful things in repentance. But I received the Holy Ghost after I repented. And... Uh, I literally felt healing in my mind. I, I remember it so clearly. I felt healing in my mind and in my conscience. Anybody else ever feel that when you received the Holy Ghost? You felt healing there in your mind. It was a powerful experience. To purge is to free from defilement of sin and from faults. To purify from wickedness. To free from guilt of sin. Guilt can destroy us. To purify. To consecrate. By cleansing or purifying. To consecrate and dedicate. That's what purge means. But then purge your conscience. Okay, what does conscience mean in this word here? The soul as a distinguishing between what is morally good and bad. When we purge our conscience through the blood of Jesus Christ, it brings healing to understand and distinguish between what is morally good and what's bad. Healing takes place. The definition goes on and says, prompting to do the former and shun the latter. In other words, to do good and shun the bad. Uh, it goes on and says uh, conscience is commending one or condemning the other, commending one or condemning the other. What I see in this definition of conscience is being able to understand the distinction between doing the right things and doing the wrong things. If there is a conscience that's been seared, like with a hot iron, the Bible says, uh, you know, how many have been burnt by something hot? and you probably have the scars to prove it. (laughs) Uh, I've been burnt many times by hot pipes as you weld them together and and you reach over. Sometimes I got to reach over into a unit and weld kind of in an unusual position. And then after I weld it and I'm pulling my arm out, I catch that arm on that hot pipe and I get a little branding of McFarland heating and cooling on my arm. I've got a lot of those brandings and scars on me. i got some sheet metal cuts. I've got some scars from that. Just a part of the work. But a conscience that is seared with a hot iron can't, can't distinguish properly between right and wrong. But the precious blood of Jesus Christ purges our conscience and helps us to be able to be more sensitive to the right and wrong. That's the reason why it's very important for us to plead the blood in this warfare. It's powerful. Amen. The blood of the Lamb. The blood emphasizes the death of Jesus Christ. He did not only suffer, He died. And of the Lamb, the, when you use the, by the blood of the Lamb, he, 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 he died on the cross. He suffered for us. But when you use the word Lamb in this, He was like the Passover Lamb. He died as a substitute for us. When we plead the blood, we're bringing that back up and, and reminding the devil, really what we're doing is reminding the devil... Satan you can accuse me all you want but here's the thing I plead the blood you can't cross the bloodline I plead the blood in this And, and, and what can the devil say after that the blood has washed us clean amen we need to use the blood we need to allow the blood to continue to flow in our lives we need to learn to repent. Whether we feel like we need to or not. We need to take things before the Lord and lay them at the altar. This altar is always open. This altar is, is the ultimate, really, when in every service. Uh, we come to the church service and we worship the Lord because He's worthy. And he, we want to let Him know how much we love Him and we praise Him. But, uh, and, and then the teaching and then the preaching has helped us to help us to get to a closer walk with the Lord. But it ultimately comes down to the main part of this church service is an altar. To make an altar before God. To lay it down in an altar. Don't be afraid to come to this altar. Don't be afraid to stand at this altar or kneel at this altar and pour it out upon the altar... Nobody's going to think anything about it. It's not between you and people. It's between you and God. And what everybody else uh, thinks, it really doesn't matter. It's what God thinks. Washing, cleansing with the blood of Jesus Christ. What's also amazing about the blood is how red blood, we've heard this, how red blood can take uh, dark sins and make them white as snow. The cleansing, the cleansing. It's amazing what God can do. So the blood of Jesus heals our troubled conscience, purges our troubled conscience from dead works, from sin, and gets us thinking about the Lord. I tell you, really, in this battle, in this battle of of trying to live for the Lord and of being an overcomer and being victorious, it's important for us to understand that we need a conscience that's cleared. If our conscience is cluttered, then the devil can just feed on that and keep feeding on that and make you feel like you're such a terrible, terrible person. Trust me, God does not want to destroy your life. His ultimate goal is to bring healing to your soul. Amen? That is the ultimate goal of the Lord is to bring healing to your soul, to your heart, to your life, for you be at peace with God. He doesn't want to beat you up. He wants to bring you to healing. It's the reason why he came to the cross and did what he did as a sacrifice, as an advocate and as an intercessor for us. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said these words uh, Listen to what they say here. He said, it works first because his victory is our victory. His victory, Jesus, is our victory. First, you are to regard Satan this day as being already literally and truly overcome through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already been overcome. Satan is already a vanquished enemy. By faith, grasp your Lord's victory as your own. Since he triumphed in your nature and on your behalf, he came to this earth. He walked in flesh, was tempted like as we, yet without sin. But by faith, grasp your Lord's victory as your own, since he triumphed in your nature and on your behalf. Come, my soul, thou hast conquered Satan by thy Lord's victory, Charles Spurgeon said. Wilt thou not be brave enough to fight a vanquished foe and trample down the enemy whom the Lord, thy Lord has already thrust down? Thou needest not be afraid, but say, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're fighting an enemy that is already defeated. We're fighting against an enemy that has already been destroyed. Why should we be afraid of him? We need to grab and grasp a hold of the victory that the Lord has already done for us and grab a hold of His victory because it's our victory also. Amen? It's our victory. So it works to plead the blood. I plead the the blood many times in my life, living for God. It works because the work of the Lord on the cross is the ultimate demonstration for his love and mercy and grace for us. He did it for us. Romans 5 and 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We could, we could get to the point where we feel like, that, and the devil has beat us down so much, that we think that we're not worthy at all To live for God or walk with God or come to the house of God or lift our hands in praise and worship or sing unto the Lord. We can get to the point where we feel so unworthy. But when you think about it, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us before we ever even came to Him in repentance. He did it an account that we would come and give ourselves to him. We have something powerful as a weapon by pleading the blood of Jesus Christ in this battle. Amen. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time The devil is fighting overtime right now. He's already defeated, but he's fighting overtime against you and me, against the world, against every soul, because he knows his time is very short. He's got to do everything he can. That's the reason why we're living in the end time right now. We're seeing things that I never even dreamed that we would see, and you are too. But he knows he's got a short time. What do you do when you uh, maybe on the job, or or maybe you're preparing for a trip or whatever, and you wait till the last minute? All of a sudden, boom! You got to get some stuff done. You know, you got a short time. You work extra hard. You you get it all together. You 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 know you stay up late. You, you know you're you're working overtime. That's exactly what the devil's doing right now because he's he knows he's got a short time. He also understands his end he's already defeated i think sometimes we don't understand that sometimes we don't realize that the devil is defeated we need to keep that in the back of our mind but when the attack and i'm going to close on this uh, when the attack attacks us uh, of the devil with accusations or the flesh is trying to come against us We need to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to go to the Lord in prayer. We need to cry out to God. And we need to allow the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse our conscience again from the dead works that are trying to get back in there. Stop it at the mind and the thoughts that the devil puts in. Don't buy into this stuff. Don't buy into it. Sometimes the devil throws thoughts there, as I mentioned before, and you you think you know that that was my thought so then you buy into that thought and you then you begin the devil begins to accuse you that hey you are unworthy when he's the one that put the thought there in the first place now i'm not going to say that we don't put thoughts there ourselves at times but think about it stop it in the mind plead the blood of jesus christ over your mind if you have to lay hands on your head and plead the blood on your mind. Do it. It's a part of winning the battle. Do it before it goes into actions. Amen. Praise God. I'd like for us to stand. And we're going to practice this tonight. We're going to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like for you to lift your hands and and just close your eyes unto the Lord. I want you to lift up your voice here today. God, I please...